Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of I Spit on Your Grades, the winter edition. I hesitate to say Christmas edition because, of course, I'm sure you've all gone out and checked our previous best Christmas horror from this time last year. How quickly a year flies, even while we're not allowed out of the house. As always, I am joined by Faye. Hello. Mutter. Hello. How are we both? Are we both well? Yeah, standard, fabulous, same old, same old. You know, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Thank you. I know every day pretty much blurs into the same. So we're not when when we ask every week how everyone is, unless anyone's died, at which point I'm guessing they won't be on the podcast. I wonder if you go back through what we've done previously, if the enthusiasm for that question. Gets a little less each week. I, I think it peaks and waves. Definitely. I, th- I think so. I think when we've been when we've been allowed to the pub, always been fright fest or sell. There's a wave of enthusiasm until lockdown kicks back in. And like many of these film, films we're going to discuss today, weirdly enough, they're all locked down as well in their own various ways. Yeah, they pretty much all are. Yeah. I didn't so, really think of that. In a weird, in a weird subconscious way, do we want to? Do we want to pick anything that was massively get out there and explore the world? No, let's just watch more people locked in various locations. Yeah. But aside from that, what have we watched this week? Have we watched anything at all, Mercer? How about you? Um. No. <laughs> I've. 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 I've... I've not even watched all the films for the episode, so there we go. Uh, Which we'll come on to in a bit. (laughs) Yeah, but I'll explain that shortly, obviously. Um, But yeah, no, it's been, um, it's just been another busy week. Uh, You know, long shifts, tiredness, early starts. So I'm not really, not really subjected, not subjected. I'm not really give myself over to um, the arts (laughs) this week. I think we we were saying as well that because we are still all working from home, um, I especially feel like I'm more busy than I've ever been and Chris is feeling the same. So, you know, whilst it must be great to have that downtime that people are getting from lockdown and, you know, especially people who work in the service industry and such, I am still thankful that I do have that distraction of a job because I would absolutely go out of my head if I didn't. Yeah, definitely. Also, um, in the real world, I don't know any, how anyone can afford to be furloughed because if I only got X percentage of my wage, I'd be out on the streets. Mm. So we shouldn't really complain about the fact that we're tired because we have to work. We absolutely shouldn't. <laughs> we shouldn't. I only got to put on one off-Broadway show this week. Normally I've got ten shows on the go, but no, one I managed to get out of there this week. <laughs> And I can't believe people don't want to watch something in a parallel universe where John Favreau is a mutant dinosaur. What are you on about? That's my new Broadway <laughs> show. Off Broadway. Oh my god. Um, back to the question, Chris. Um, as well, you know, because you've been watching as well. We've watched a lot of Don't Tell the Bride. It's been on at ten to eleven each night, and you know, because we can't sleep, because that's just how we are now. Um. Don't tell the bride as providers of entertainment throughout the week. It's its own. It's its own brand of horror. Let's let's face it. It's 
stressful, there's suspense, there's drama, there's horrific wedding dresses, there's my absolute joy at the bride crying when they see the wedding dress and when it all goes horribly wrong. I make no apologies for it. That's the best bit of I don't tell on the I bride. I think it's cruel that you do that. That you The only p- real pleasure you get out of don't tell the bride is when it all fucks up massively. To be fair, though, some of these people are very demanding. And so I don't watch Don't Tell the Bride, but I've seen Don't Tell the Bride, you know. Uh, and some of these brides are absolutely horrible to the person doing the wedding who thinks they're actually doing something good. And then on the flip, some of these guys are just like, fuck it, I want to blow all this money on a, a massive bachelor party. <laughs> Should get married in a tutu. There was a guy, I'll make it brief, there was a guy who um, met his future wife whilst she was teaching him to swim. So his idea was, oh, we'll do it in the leisure centre where we met and we'll do it underwater because she taught me to do that. And that's a lovely gesture, but in reality, on your wedding day, going into a pool when you've just done all your hair and all your makeup, it's, it's not on. You should not be getting your bride wet on their wedding day. Oh, my God. You are pure filth. I love it. Oh, my God. Right. So, now that we know that we've we know we've not watched anything this week, including all the films that were picked for selection, let's see how many, how many people have given us their picks for films we should have watched this week. Because judging by the feedback, no one is watching anything anymore. It has been a quiet week on, on the feedback front, not going to lie. Um, it's I, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Because some weeks we're like, can't even keep up with comments. And then some, it's just like, people just don't give a shit about what we've chose. So, <laughs> um, so we did get some suggestions, but it was literally like one, like not one film, but like each film was suggested once. So we just, you know, this, this week, you're getting a viewer's choice, which we've ultimately picked from the viewer's choices. To be fair, they were the first taxi off the rank. They got in there first, so... They did. And it's probably a more, like, from the suggestions, it's probably a more fitting film, I guess, with with the time of year. Yeah. So we thought we'd go for it. And it should, let's be honest, it, you know, if we'd have done... A viewer's choice. Did we do a viewer choice last Christmas? We didn't. I think if we'd have done a viewer's choice last Christmas when we did our favourite festive horror, I think this would have been the fourth film anyway. Yeah. So it needs its it needs its shot. Yeah. Are we saying what it is? Yeah. Why not? Let's just. We might as well end the suspense now. So we'll end the suspense now. Yeah, we'll end the suspense now. So it is. 1974 we are going back to um it is black christmas Ooh, billy 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 billy, billy chad <laughs> no different film different <laughs> film next week as a by the way billy there's a billy and an agnes in this film i don't think that's a coincidence if you've watched winter skin uh, you'll know what you're talking uh. about if you haven't watched winter skin Watch So Home Horror this weekend, where you can see Winter Skin. It's on the Sunday, I believe. Anyways. Well? Anyway, Mercer, you are up first this week. You get the pleasure of kicking us off with your choice. 
Yes, that's correct. I shall be going first this week. I've gone classic. I've gone back to 1980, the Stanley Kubrick-directed adaptation of the Stephen King novella, The Shining. Now, for the benefit of those who haven't seen The Shining, I'm going to give a very brief outline because pretty much, I'm guessing, most people in the world have either seen this version of The Shining or read a book or seen some other versions. This is slightly different, obviously, than the actual other versions that are more true to the Stephen King adaptation, uh, Stephen King book. But it's basically the story of Jack Torrance, played by Nicholson, Jack Nicholson, who uh, is an aspiring writer, and he takes a job as a caretaker that's closed for five months, I believe, um, of the year, where he'll, he'll live pretty much in isolation with his family, so his wife, Wendy. Shelley Duvall. Wendy, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I wanted to call her Wendy Duvall, and I knew that was wrong. So his wife, yeah, Wendy, played by Shelley Duvall, and uh, their son, Danny, um, who's also played by somebody. Shelley Duvall. <laughs> Um, it's Danny. It's thrown me again because the guy who plays Danny is Danny Lloyd. Um, yeah. So, yes, so they move into this hotel. Before they go, Jack is told that there is a history to the hotel where the, uh, in the past a previous caretaker has lost his mind and butchered his family. Um, but, you know, that's in the past. Um, there's also little nods to it being on an Indian burial ground, but, you know, it's fine. Um, everything's good, nothing bad's happened for a long time. So Jack takes the job, moves his family in, and it isn't long before we see Jack mentally break down, Wendy have probably one of the best mental breakdowns in cinema history because it's pretty much real life. Well. And um, poor little Danny um, doing weird voices with his shining powers. Oh, and lots of blood and ghost and um, blood and ghost. And getting off with dead women and taking drinks off off dead dead (laughs) waiters. So I think for me, part of the reason why I picked this film is not it is a classic. It's it does have some genuinely terrifying moments in it. Um, It's got some really strong performances, even the little brat. We all know I don't like kids and kid actors, but even this little brat in this does quite well, mm. um, especially when he's doing the funny Tony voice. Because yeah. um, I feel like when he's flipping back and forth, for a little kid, I feel like that's a challenge, and I think he does that quite well. Mm. I think visually the film looks incredible. Um, the hotel looks incredible. And the sound as well. So not like So one of the things I've I like every time I watch this, one of my favourite things in the film is is when Danny's riding his little go-kart and the way that we hear, like all we can hear is the sound of it, like hitting carpet, hitting floor, jumping over things, like just just that sound. It's fascinating. And I think it's quite a bold move because I don't know who who thinks I'm just going to like film this, this sound scene. I said exactly the same thing when we were watching it, that it was, you're so concentrated on picking up where he's on the carpet and where he's, that, that you're invested in what he's doing more because it's suckering you into it. And I think the sound does that throughout. It literally 
drives you crazy as well with its pitch and stuff. Yeah, there's some weird string changes yeah. throughout the film. I mean, let's face it, this, the cool Kubrick and auteur is doing him a disservice. Possibly the greatest auteur in film history. Yeah. And everyone, would say, everyone will say that every frame looks like a painting when it's done by Kubrick. Um, we get that immediately from the start. That tracking shot when he's driving up to overlook to begin with and we get a sense of the sheer scale and isolation of this place while being absolutely gorgeous to look at. Mm. And we're straight off to the races with the sheer ice, with the isolation yeah. aspect of it. Then with, with you saying about the look of it as well, Mercer, I, again, I commented saying that there's another film that we're covering in this episode that's quite close to this and the di- age-wise and the difference in the quality of it is worlds apart like this mm. for for, an, for a 1980s film this is so crystal clear that you could absolutely be watching it today and you wouldn't bat an eye you wouldn't know the i, I mean i i know I, I i've not got an eye for cinematography myself but you know did you watch a restoration not that i'm aware <laughs> not that i'm aware of no but no say, uh, seriously um Jumping back to that, so for me, like I always see that opening scene, such an iconic opening scene, and it's one that we see replicated in quite a lot of films as well. Now, like if you think of like Evil Dead or even Cabin in the Woods mm. um, or Dead End, they've all they all now do this like there's a car driving along the yeah. road, and I'm sure it was done before, possibly, but I think Kubrick kind of made that like a thing, in my yeah. opinion. Um, and like you say about him being one of the greatest authors, is that how you say it? Authors. I think what's good about Kubrick is he, he is his attention to detail. So everything that he is in in shot will have some relevance, so he'll have some idea um, behind it. But then that's also like the flip negative side because he is known for repeatedly making people do take after take after take after take. And in fact, I read somewhere, the scene with Shelley Duvall holding the bat when she's um, Jack and Wendy are having the argument on the stairs. Yeah. He made a, it's in the Guinness World Book of Records, apparently. He made her do that scene, and Jack Nicholson, 176 times. He did exactly the same with Tom Cruise in Eyes Wide Shut. Exactly the same. He got it on the first take and he still made him go through it just to push him. And just quickly, one of my favourite Kubrick stories ever is on the set of Eyes Wide Shut, he went up to Nicole Kidman and I'm sure everybody knows this, but he went up to Nicole Kidman and said, um, I'm whispering in your ear right now, if you tell your husband about this, then you're off set, you're done. So then Tom came up after and went, what, what were you speaking to her about? And she's like, no, I can't, I can't say like, no, what what did he say to you though? You can tell me, I'm your husband. And she's like, no, I can't, can't say. I'm made him paranoid. He's a bastard, isn't he? Yeah, he's a fucker. <laughs> he's, he's an actual bastard. Yeah. He um, apparently he he was very very horrible to Shelley Duvall throughout the entire making of this film. It ruined her. This film, it absolutely ruined her. Definitely, she said it was the hardest thing she'd ever, hardest mm-hmm. film she'd ever had to do in her life. She was like ill, physically, emotionally. She was. And that's why I said like earlier, like the greatest breakdown because it was real. I think I think everything about what she did 
was Shelley Duvall actually just crumbling. And I know that sounds horrible because, you know, it gave such a great performance. Uh, but, yeah, I think I think it was a real performance. Although, saying that, both Shelley Duvall and Stanley Kubrick were nominated for Razzie Awards for this film. I find Wendy's character quite annoying. I really do. A lot, and it doesn't, doesn't take anything away from how much I love the film, because I do. But I just find it, I find her really pathetic. It's like she's got no spine to stand up to him and everything. She just goes along with everything and cries at everything. And I think that's why when it does get to the scene where Jack's being taunted by the ghost saying, you can't even control your woman and she's she's pathetic and you can't even kill her. Why should you deserve to come and join us? I, I think that, that stirs him more because she is quite pathetic and he can't even do deed. I'm backstory in here now. Mm. Because even before... So, for me, like, I like when she's walking around that hotel, what I get from Shelley Duvall is someone who's probably come from, like, a small town who's... Um, she's very naive. Um, and, like, like you know, the, she's fascinated by, like, the, the enormity of the the kitchen and the, and the, the beauty of the place. Yeah. And I think she's lived quite a sheltered life. But taking as well, before she even, before they even get to that hotel, there's a scene in the car where you can see quite clearly that Jack Nicholson is very off with both his wife and child. Yes. And he's very much like, you know, it almost feels like he wants to put them down or he does put them down. I feel just my own projections here that she's used to being Jack's victim mm. even before she becomes like the victim that she is. Yeah. I think she's used to him treating her like shit, probably smacking her once or twice. Um, but that's her normal. And then it's amplified when it gets to the hotel, which is why she breaks down because also she's got nobody or no, nowhere to run now. She must have some kind of spine there. Can we find that she's he's a re- or she's a reason he stops drinking for five months? And I think personally, I think the reason he does that is for an easier life, because he says it himself. You know, she, she nags him, and the second time when Danny gets the bruise on his neck, like she's never going to let me forget this. This is going to be brought up all the time because it clearly has been in the past, and I think that's why he stopped the drinking for an easier life. Yeah, but it's still her threat. The her threat to leave. Though. I don't know if it's a threat. I think it's more of a na- I think it's a nagging. She says that. She says when she's talking to doctors, she said that if he has, if he carries on drinking or if happens again, then she will leave. That's yeah, a threat. That's yeah, a threat. Yeah. So I'm just throwing this out here. Something that I read, which was, do you know, like we mentioned, um, Kubrick is very everything's placed and everything's put there for a reason. Mm. Well, in the very in the scene where um, they first moved to the hotel and Jack's sat having his breakfast reading and he comes across, he's reading a Playgirl magazine. Oh. And apparently the actual, in that Playgirl magazine, is an article about incest, which people then pose the question as, has Jack abused Danny? Which is why potentially the stopping drinking and and the 
getting away from the city and trying to do things. Okay. I think I don't see it. No, but I'm just trying to because it's a theory there, but it might explain like the instant reaction, like when she saw Danny's neck, the instant you did this. But do you? Th- I think she thinks that because of what he did the first time, where where he dislocated his arm. Mm. I th- I think I I mean, if you were looking deeper into it and you were looking for signs of it, I guess the scene where he's on the bed and he calls Danny in, it is quite an uncomfortable interaction. But I'm not. I I personally don't see it in that context. But if if you were searching for it, maybe. But Danny just shut down a little bit as well in that scene. But again, like, if he, if he little... has been hurt by Jack before, mm. you know. I, again, it's just something I read online that I thought, yeah. oh, that's an interesting take, because I never felt that at all. Um, anyway, back to the film uh, and the performances in general. Um, Jack Nicholson is, is the king of Crazer. His freakouts are fucking unbelievable. Mm. I particularly love his freakout on the stairs with the baseball bat mm. when he's saying about how about leaving the job and what that would mean if he left. They go absolutely mental while having a completely well honed reason argument. Yeah, is pretty impressive. I think when Wendy first comes in to see how he's doing and to offer him a sandwich, I think that's one of the more shocking outbursts purely because. It seems to come out of nowhere. You, you you sense that he's annoyed with her, and but he never really says it. It's more of a marital, oh, old ball and chain sort of thing, always on my back. But when he has that outburst saying, leave me the fuck alone, it's, it's so vicious just for being offered a sandwich. I'd never say that if you offered me a sandwich. I know you wouldn't. <laughs> Most people won't, um, but that's that's a word I've used a couple of times in when I've wrote my notes. Vicious, mm. like it's not just like a like a crazy kind of breakdown. He, he gets very vicious and says some horrible things. I think he's quite scary. And it's quite effective, and the whole idea of this massive hotel and then just these three people that are like, or the two specifically that are like. I'm going to kill you or I'm going to protect my son. It's a bit like, I don't know, it makes it feel more intense because there's so much space, if that makes sense. Well, it's empty, so there's there's nowhere to retreat to to talk to anybody or anything. You just, you know, you're there. Empty except for the ghost. Well, yeah. Now, we know Danny sees ghosts, but this is something else that I read. Every time Jack sees a ghost, he's looking in a mirror. Or yeah. he's looking at something bright, shiny. Like so a whether he's hmm. <laughs> like a metal shiny door in the in the larder mm. or in the hotel bar, he's sat looking at the mirror. What in about the in ba- the bathroom? He's got the mirror in the bathroom. The mirrors, is, it, is it in the front? No, no, the bathroom with the old lady is young lady, old lady. Is there a mirror there in the bath? Well, when he actually sees her, I don't think there is one in the bath. But when he sees her as the old lady, there's a mirror. Mm. That's my only flow flow with that argument. But it's that like, is he actually seeing ghosts or is he actually just losing his mind with cabin fever? Because five months is a long time, I think, to be. Oh, I said this. We've all lived his lives now, and the interacting with people for like. 
online or whatever for like nine, ten months. And I ain't gone crazy yet. But you can pop out at co-op and we can pop over to Iceland. So it's not like we're snowed in and totally isolated, is it? They could pop across to a maze. <laughs> some, in some ways, they've got the band of deal. I haven't got a maze in my garden. True. I haven't got a whole tin of fucking peaches. A massive tin of peaches. Exactly. I haven't got, an, I haven't got a bar that I could probably... I know they say they put the booze away. I reckon I could probably get to it, give me long enough in a <laughs> deserted hotel. So, I think this... I think, you know, before we started recording, Faye said... There's not a lot, like, we haven't got really enough time to break down the shining. I'm like, of course we can, it's easy to do. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think you were right, obviously, and I were wrong, because we've we spent so much time talking about it and we've not even really discussed the film. We've not discussed some of the amazing things that happen in the film. But we also don't want to keep people listening. We're, we're not doing a Stanley Kubrick The Shining special. Just a quickie, um, managed to link Twilight Zone, the movie, into the episode from The Shining. Scatman Crothers. In the second uh, segment of Twilight is on the movie, in the kick the can segment, carry on as you were. I mean, you just ruined my speech. Sorry. But, <laughs> no, it's fine. No, we knew you were going to do it. Course, it's yeah. the only reason I picked it, really. Everyone, it's not It's, it's not the film I wanted. I just wanted Faye to be able to discuss Cheers, Twilight is on the movie. Uh, but yeah, you were right. We definitely, it's, we definitely can't cover all the amazing stuff in the film. Um, all the stuff you know, or get into the conversations in this segment. Segment, like, like I say, it's not we're not dedicating this entire show to The Shining. We've got three other films that we have to discuss. Have to. Um, so, I'm gonna leave it to the public on this. Right, we've all seen The Shining. We all know The Shining, and everyone's got. I think there are some very varied opinions on this film. I know some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people prefer the book. I know Stephen King himself hates it. So, you know, and he, he's a man. Um, but for <laughs> me, I think he's shining. <laughs> he, he is the man who wrote the book. Jesus. And the screenplay, which Kubrick didn't want any part of. Yeah, you know, so the original screenplay for this was written by King, and, he, and Kubrick didn't want that. So him and Diane Johnson okay. wrote the screenplay which is, uh, I think, leads to Key's disappointment. But anyway, enough of that. For me, I think The Shining, it captures this kind of family breakdown perfectly. Uh, we've got these two contrasting roles with Duval and Nicholson, both of them, like, breaking down and reaching, like, their own kind of points of where there's no coming back, I don't think, for them. Um, and they both capture it perfectly. We actually have a little brat who's not bad, it's quite alone. decent in the film. Um, and it's his only film, so maybe he weren't that good, but he's not bad. Um, the film, it plays with the idea of, of of ghost versus cabin fever. It plays with your own kind of, like you said, fair mentality, not mentality, like stability, mental stability with like the way it throws the different sounds at you and like you said, Chris, the like screeching chords out of nowhere and it kind of takes you on a journey along with the cast and it's got an amazing ending where we don't really know what happens to Shelley and Dana or Wendy and Dana you, you do if you've watched Doctor Sleep but <clears throat> yeah. but we're talking about The Shining not Doctor Sleep I know so we don't really know what happens 
to Shelley and Dana, but we know he's frozen, and we see that, that awesome shot of that picture with Jack Nicholson in there from 1924, obviously as Grader, the person who killed his family before. So most like a reincarnation. Anyway, it's just a fucking good film, and it it, it, it deserves to win. So 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 let it win. Righto. Next we have the listener's choice, and by listeners I do mean one listener because it was picked by one listener. As we said before, 1974's Black Christmas, uh, starring Margot Kidder, John Saxon, two people from Porky's, and that last from the It miniseries. That's what their that's their credits on IMDb as well. It is those two guys Margot from Porky's. Kidder, two guys from Porky's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And the director of Porky's is actually, I believe, the voice of, I assume we're going to call him Billy, um, which would make sense to have two cast members from Porky's in there. Anywho, uh, sorority house full of girls and they start getting weird phone calls, very urban legend-esque. They start freaking out, one of them goes missing and they go out to try and find her, go on a search. Um and then it becomes more targeted towards one of the girls, and they start to drop fly flies, basically. We see them stalk through the sorority house over a day or so as the killer makes his way through them. That's much more coherent than what I just said. Thank you. Um, yeah, Black Christmas. It's a classic. Second classic of the day, guys. Yeah. It, it, first time watch for me, this, as well. I'm going to say I really, really enjoyed it. It is... I know you said to me before that it's considered shocking. For the at, time. For the yeah. time, exactly. And I can completely see how that is in the portrayal. Well, what did not sound like a, a man who has no idea the plight of women? But the way that women are portrayed in the film and their attitudes, their language, the way they behave generally, I can understand why this may have been considered shocking at the time. Well, I think it was one of the reasons it was considered quite shocking was mainly the phone call at the beginning as well uh given that he says the c word which wasn't even in horror films i don't believe was often heard of back then i don't have any other examples of hearing it off the top of my head to be honest i think it's something you would have struggled to get past the senses one of the things i did notice about black i mean again black christmas is like the shining it's going to have been covered thousands of times by other podcasts, by other reviews. You know, it, it's been done to her death. And that's fair enough because it's an amazing film. But one of the things I did notice with Black Christmas last night, watching it with you, with you was I, we discussed it. I said I thought the women were portrayed as shite, basically. Like they had no place, and you said that the men were portrayed worse. Yeah, I think not portrayed worse as in portrayed unfairly. I mean, the men were portrayed worse as being worse people. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Than the women. Yeah. See, interestingly, one of the things that I put that I love about the film is the strength of Jess in particular. The fact that, you know, she... she she gets pregnant. She's made her decision about what she wants to do with the baby. She tells her boyfriend, Peter, you can't tell me what to do with my body. She tells him that a couple of times. She pretty much stands up for herself. And when he's like, we'll get, we're going to get married, she's like, eh, hang on. Just because you're 
plans and dreams have changed, mine haven't. I'm sticking to what I want to do. And I thought that was, especially for like 1974, a really bold, strong thing to do, to have a female character literally saying, no, this is my life and what I want to do. See, I agree with both of you, but I think I was just coming at it from a different angle. I was seeing it more as the... Because the way they talk to the women is disgraceful. Like, is it Pete? He comes along and basically says, no, you will marry me, woman. You will be doing this. And I'm thinking, like, so why are they thinking that the women are trash? But looking at it, it is actually that the men are trash. Yeah. So I I, I agreed with you. I was just coming in from another another doorway. No. um, I I, I weren't disagreeing with either of you. I would just say, for me, it felt like we we got um, a lead in a film, a female lead that was you know, strong enough to, like, like in the, I don't know what the world was like in the 70s, but I know things have always been tough for women, mm. um, and especially decisions about their own body. So I thought that was such a strong kind of message to get across. So it sh- <clears throat> And it shocks me that it's a man who wrote it. So I'm about, oh, it's interesting. Boy be woke. Pre-woke. And Mar- Margot Kidder <coughs> as well, like, her, her character's badass. You know, she fucks with guys. I, I mean, like, she don't fuck with guys, but she messes it. Yeah. messes around with guys' heads, makes fun of them, drinks what she, when uh, she wants. I've, I don't... She's fine, I understand that. I have a problem with the scene when she's provoking the dad of the missing woman, where she's going about how I went to the zoo to watch the animals have sex. And it's like, that seems to be... Well, yeah, I understand your character. You're progressive, and you're this and that. That's just being that's just being a bitch and just fucking being a twat. Yeah. There's absolutely no place in that. May at that point, I lost pretty much any kind of sympathy I could have for her as a character. See, I just think she was, and I don't want to sound sexist, but she was like the man of the girls, as in that kind of behaviour, like getting drunk and berating someone who was feeling like shit. Back then, especially, it's probably something we typically associate with a dominant alpha male. Mm. And she was the... What's the word for an alpha... A female version of an alpha male? Is it still alpha? It'll still be alpha. Alpha is still the premier. Alpha? alpha. But she was like the alpha female, wasn't she? Of of that sorority. Yes. I mean, if, if you think about it, when, when her plan thing was a plan, and she was like, right, we're going skiing, 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 skiing. And that one girl said no. And other, everyone else was like, oh, my God, someone said no. And she's like, the bitch said no to me. See, I, I agree with it, with her being like an alpha <clears throat> of the group. But at the same time, they have had enough for her shit. Because when she comes home drunk and just starts being a total dick, they tell her to go to bed. This is behaviour she's clearly known for. So, like, just fuck off. Just go away. Just go and sleep it off sort of thing. So... I think they are, they are tired of her as well. She does have a hand in one of the best scenes, though, with the fellatio <laughs> area, area code. It's just the John Saxon and the other, the other copper, bless him. He just, if, he, if he'd never had another role, at least he'll have done that. He'll have done a fairly convincing, absolutely falling to pieces. Bizarrely enough, he actually has a similar role in Porkies, but that's for another time. Is this Nash, the copper Nash? Yes. The stupid one. He is. He is the worst policeman I have ever come across in any film ever. As in, 
Like, he's so clueless. Eva Nova, you guys want to party? You like to party? Yes. <laughs> yes, even over that, he's given specific instructions, which is, just tell her to leave the house. Don't say anything else. He's inside the house! <laughs> what? Right. No, you see, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with him in this. Not only, not only when he goes, oh, you need to leave the house, and she's like, what? I'm just going to go and get such... No, no, you need to leave the house now immediately. I'm just going to go and do my nails and have a bath. No, just get out the fucking house. Uh, he should have led with it. She's standing there. She'd have gone. There's a killer in your house. Get out of the door quickly, as fast as you can now. Yes. So, in retrospect, he probably shouldn't like the the John Saxon, who is great in this film, by the way. Um, mm. Just as an FYI, I, I forget that he's quite good as an actor. Um, Do you not think he looks a bit like George Clooney as well in this film? No. Oh. Um, Fine. No, I didn't see it. Oh, well, um, if you didn't, it's all right. Don't worry about it. But it's just the same as when I said to you, I think someone looks like someone. <laughs> You're like, no. Um, but he's a really good actor. But yeah, in retrospect, he should have said, yeah, phone up and say she needs to get out because there's somebody in the house who's going to kill her. But when you give her specific instructions, you should follow them, especially as a police officer. You should follow them instructions. And his instructions were not to scream in fear down the phone that she's going to die any second because somebody in the house is going to kill her. I'm just going to say as well, right, so there's a lot of phone action in this film, as we're all aware. <laughs> yeah. But my favourite phone action is every time Jess answers the phone. Because every time she answers the phone, it's not just a, hello, it's, hello, hello! <laughs> like, why are you shouting? <laughs> every dead. single time. But everything, even like the first time she did it, I thought, oh, it's because there's a party scene going on and it's probably meant to be loud so she can't hear who's on the phone. And then, obviously, I'm listening to just some girls talking like this, and everything's really quiet. And she's like, hello! <laughs> um, maybe, maybe they shot the party scene first, and the director just didn't correct her later on. So she's just like, oh, this... And he's going, oh, no, do it louder. She's gone, oh, this is how I have to do every scene. Just screaming down yes. the phone. <laughs> maybe. But the, I just thought that was quite uh, quite funny phone action. Uh, just that she just didn't know how to answer a phone like a human being. My favourite funny bit in the film is where she answers the door to the carolers and the carolers just do every single hymn under the fucking sun. Every single hymn imaginable. <laughs> and she, she stood there doing a hair like she's trying to impress someone going, oh. you can't see what I'm doing right now, but I'm moving my hair going, oh, oh, me. <laughs> and the carolers all look like they're from some like satanic cult or something. They're all just staring <laughs> straight forward going, oh, no. Be fair, that's not as ridiculous as the search party turning up at the door, which is which is fine because obviously they're looking, and then closing the door to go. Oh, by the way, all the doors are all the doors and windows are open and unlocked. Also, not that I want to rip this film apart because I do actually like it, but Jess is out with the search party, right? And then that girl screams, and they find the dead young girl, or I'm assuming Billy's killed on his way to the sorority house. Yeah. And Jess goes up to the girl... Yeah. Yeah. And Jess goes up to the girl who was screaming and puts her arms around her. And then, about ten minutes later, she's on a phone call and that person, the police officer, says, well, we found a a young girl dead in the park. And then she goes into, oh, God, I'm so upset. And Peter's like, what's wrong? And she's like, oh, they just found a girl dead in the park. I'm like, you were there. You were there. 
She left. She said she had to go she and meet, she said she yeah, had to go and meet they, Peter and then they found him after. She said I have to go and meet Peter and then that girl screamed and she went and hugged the girl who was screaming. No, Phyllis did. Put her she arms around her. She did. I don't Honest. Think, I don't think. We'll have to go back and re- we'll have to go back and rewatch it at some point. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> but she did. And then she, she acts all shocked about it. And then later on, that Carol woman, oh, when she she comes running up the stairs, when then kids are caroling, that woman says, get them in the car quickly, because they found a dead girl in the park. Mm. Okay. I don't know why we need to panic about some kids stood on a porch. Um, <laughs> but but that's fine. And then she tells that girl, and she goes, yes, I know. Uh, you're like, all right, you don't really care anymore, Jeff. But then phone starts ringing, and she's like, your phone's ringing. And you're like, <laughs> Yes. Why are you so confused and concerned about this phone ringing, you old woman? Um, she's not even old. And then Jess has to make it a point of running downstairs to give him some money. I'm like, chill out. What is going on in this scene? Mate, that Carol scene, yeah. Jess is going through a lot, all right? So if there are some continuity errors along the way, just let it be. My main concern is with this search, search mission that they're going on to find the missing woman, they don't go... Should probably have a look around the house. Make, probably make, look in the attic. Make sure she's not dead sitting there in the attic, yeah. Well, Along with other 15 fucking corpses are piled up in there. At no point does anyone think we're going to go upstairs. But why would you? Why would you really? If you're looking for someone, someone's going missing, you go, first thing you'd think is, right, we'll just check all the rooms in the house just in case. What if she's gone up to the attic for some reason and collapsed? Or been knocked over by a lamp or something. So she climbed up to the attic, put the lid back on so nobody knew she was up there to, so she could have an accident. The roof would be off if a real person had gone up. I believe in a real search situation, you would probably check all the rooms in the house. It's 1974. Nobody knows what we'd have done in a real situation. And We've the... got women telling men that they can't control their body. That's not real in that time, I don't think. <laughs> so. The... And the fact that if you stand outside and look at the attic, you can see a corpse against the window. I love, can I just say, I love the shot of Claire as a corpse. Yeah. You know, like just the bag over her head and rocking in the chair. And the part where he's put the doll in her arm as well, and she's just rocking with a bag. I think that looks amazing. Yeah, it is great. Um, and I think that's the part that I like in the remake as well. I would say, Billy, as a voice, is one of the creepiest things I've heard. It is weird, um, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So watching that, like, when you're younger, at night, with your lights off and all the, all the different voices coming through, you're a bit like, that would freak me out a little bit. Don't I've, that, but it's I've seen a lot of people who um, credit the shot with the eye in the door as one of their most scariest moments ever. Because it, it is freaky. I, you wouldn't like to see it when you're on your way to bed, would you? I love that, but I do prefer the shot where he's just about to kill Morgo Kidder mm. and it's just, he's all in dark and there's just light on him, one of his eyes. And and how, like, weird is it that he needs them awake as well? He needs them to be watching him, killing him. It's something to do with his sister. <laughs> Obviously. Mm. What I do like about this film, and it links to, like, what you've said about the searches, I like it, I don't like it. I like the ending where they've convinced themselves that it was Peter because she's not she's quite smart so Peter was in the house when he phoned and now she knows that 
Peter was that he was voting from in the house, so it makes sense to link him, especially with the link of what he said. But the fact that they then leave her in bed in a house where people have been murdered on her own and leave. But that was all because they got, that was all in the confusion of taking the dad away because he'd fainted. So had mm. the, had it gone to plan, there would have been somebody in the room with them. But because they were a drama queen and needed attention, she was left on her own. But what I like more than anything is the fact that it then reminds us at the end of the film, ah, oh, they forgot about these two bodies up in attic because it jumps up to them too. And you're like, oh, yeah. And then the phone starts ringing and you're like, oh, he's going to get off. He's going to get off. Yeah. Poor Jess is going to be toast. Was there a Black Christmas too? No. Not that way, oh, no. Okay. I don't know why I got it in my head that they were. I'm tripping. I'm tripping balls. So, yeah, to sum it up, um, <laughs> again, not gone that much into it, um, but again, to sum it up for the listeners, it's a stone-cold classic. Um, I think some of the performances are a tad on the hammy side, whereas others are done perfectly, and uh, I definitely think that Black Christmas should be a contender for your favourite winter pick. It's your girl's choice next. Um, I'm going with the Adam Green uh, directed a 2010 Frozen. Not to be mistaken for the other Frozen. Horror story within itself. You know, fucking talking snowman that comes to life and can just detach its head and its body and its limbs. But And to be fair, the most famous song from Frozen... Uh, let it go could be directly attributed to uh, Emma Bell's character when she's stuck on that lift needing toilet it absolutely could you're quite right let it go and she did she did let it go you could change the name of the other ones to love is a frozen floor where you will break both your legs anyway (laughs) frozen um fucking love this film absolutely adore it but then i adore most things that adam green does anyway uh quick synopsis is that um i haven't got the names i've only got real names so you'll have to forgive me uh sean ashmore emma bell and kevin zegers are at a ski resort for some skiing fun and uh, they're being cheap skates and they decide that they're not going to pay full price to go up and down this mountain they're going to tip someone hundred dollars so they can go up um they do they get a few rides in but they ask for one last go and as they're going up there's a bit of miscommunication between the operators at the stand and they ended up being stranded on a ski lift and the resort is closed over the holidays so they would literally be stood uh, stranded there for five days and it's them trying to stay alive, trying to come up with an escape route. It's ultimately not ending well. This isn't listed in IMDb as a horror film. It's actually down as a drama slash thriller, which I absolutely don't agree with because I think it's a horrific situation to be in. You know, there's no way in sight for them to get down other than... The first thing would spring to my mind would be climbing across the cables and I absolutely would not be able to hold my own body weight up to do that. So I would fall to my death. And I guess the thing to say as well is that in this scenario, you've got the added 
danger of wolves. Fucking wolves. Fucking wolves. Vicious, nasty, will rip you limb from limb wolves as well. Not not nice ones. Are there nice wolves? I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are nice wolves. Yeah. The big doggos at the end of the day. How bad can they be? I slagged off MML last week when we were discussing Final Destination 5, was it? Yes, the final. The Final Destination or Final Destination 5, whichever one it is. Um, and I know briefly from talking beforehand, Mercy, you wouldn't agree with me, but I absolutely love her performance in this. I don't disagree with you. I just agreed with you about the fact that you said she was a drip in Final Dest. I said I think she's a bit of a drip in this. Okay. Don't mean I don't think she's good, because I think she's amazing, but there's certain parts where I'm a bit like, mm, drip. I love the relationships of this uh, between the three, because Parker's quite new, and there's clearly an establishment between Dan. Yeah, Dan? And Joe. Dan and Lynch. Dan and Lynch, or Dan and Joe. Um, and Lynch is feeling quite resentful of the fact that he's... Like like anybody does when your mates get into a new relationship, you know, they're not spending as much time with you. Um, but she's trying her best to get on side and be like, look, I'm not this horrible person you think I am. I want to join in with what you're doing. But Lynch doesn't seem to want to... No, I've, I've, I think Lynch... I think he is trying at times, but obviously as tensions wear on, then they their relationship breaks down as well. I mean, you were looking for a pun earlier. I can't believe she's gone on this skiing trip. Really, it should have been snow before hose. Snow before hose. Nice. Thank you. I'm literally here all evening. <laughs> and obviously, like, like you say, that does come into play once, once the tensions start to rise and once things become a lot more intensified. You know, they're not eating, they're not sleeping... Frostbite setting in, you've got wolves below, fucking... They're not having a good night, are they? I really like the relationship between the three characters. I think there's a there's a natural kind of, like, chemistry between them. Yes. Um, I think, yeah, like you said, it does paint that kind of, like, third, like, you know, that new person into a, an established relationship mm-hmm. and that, like, awkwardness. But what I like about this is... He brings it up, but never in front of her. And he always tries to be nice to her mm. rather than just be a complete douche, which I think is a nice thing to do because he's still got some respect for his bro. Yeah. Uh, and he don't want to upset him. Um, but yeah, I think it's... I really like the three. I've got to be honest, though. Dan is my least believable character or gives the least believable performance for me. Okay. I think the other two are very natural. Like, even when they're cold and they're checking, it feels like... I'm, I'm like, genuinely, like, they're cold. They're, right. they're fucking freezing. Whereas this feels a little bit more forced, a little bit more like he's acting it. Okay. Rather than feeling it. So he, he... I'm not saying he's bad, but, like, when I'm watching... When I were watching them, like, he kept... Every so often, he'd take me out of it, and I'd be like, oh, that was a bit extra. Okay. Like, just speak like a person. Do like a person. Um, <laughs> although he is brave. He is brave. Just while I remember, before we get into the logistics of them being on the ski lift and trap there, the scene when they're at the little restaurant après ski bit where they're having the pizza earlier, does anyone notice the poster behind them that just says, you can die, 
and that's all it says in shot no. the entire time. It's clearly a warning post to say, basically, you need to take these measures, blah, 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 or oh, else you can yeah. die. But every time, she, every time it pans back, all it's got is, you can die. Big, massive face in the background. Either it's just fortuitous or it's a brief yeah. piece of foreshadowing. I'm going to say foreshadowing, to, or not even to the film, to Final Destination 5, where she's in as well. Oh, you can die. I think he, he does a lot of foreshadowing, though, doesn't he? So he mm. does, like, the initial lift breakdown. Yeah. With them. Uh, the whole, what's the worst way to die? Yeah. And he's, like, he's getting eaten by sharks, but not when you can't see it, but when they're in front of you and there's nothing you can do. Yeah. And then he has a, the wolf attack. And hers is, like, burning. And obviously frostbite. frostbite. I know it's frostbite, but frostbite is almost, like, Burning. Like yeah. your skin burning off? Yeah. From but frozen burning? It's, I can't remember is. Something I'm, to do with some vortex. But I don't know what it were. Not sure. So I don't know whether that foreshadowed his death. Well, I mean, you, you could... Like, when you initially start watching the film, there are several ways you could pick how it's going to go. I mean, Chris came up with one saying, oh, it's going to be that they've paid this money and they're not registered, so they're not going to be registered by the time they get up the mountain. So there are several ways that the plot could have gone. And obviously he puts his stamp on it as well, this little Adam Green nod. So he's actually in the film with Joe Lynch behind them and obviously calling the character Joe Lynch. And the mountain is called, is it Holliston? Holliston. Holliston. Yeah. I said about the way I thought he was going to go when I was stuck on there. It's a sequence of bizarrely unlucky events. <laughs> Not just one, they'd have a series of absolute failures to be able to end up getting stuck on that mountain. I mean, oh, yeah, like even the scene where fucking Kane Otter comes up in his snowmobile and they're that close to being noticed. They have that, and then there's the fact, they get, the fact that the guy on the ski lift. Originally has the mood as a get sent off to do whatever because of his overtime or working that weekend. Look, like, oh, there's three coming down. Oh, it just so happens to be another three skiers, and this just barrels yeah. along. I know you have to have a conceit to get them. But there's a lot on there, but there's there's a lot that has yeah. to fall in place here to get them stuck on there. And I think that makes you feel for them more as well, just because of how unlucky they have been. Like, to the point where they do obviously start to put into practice the ways in which they can escape, and Dan, bless him, decides to jump, not taking into account how high that fucking jump is, and both of his legs just snap. It's all right. I have a question. (laughs) It's something that confused me a little bit. So Dan jumps... And every time they want to, like, so when they throw him things, they throw it forward to him. And when they're looking at him, they look forward to him because he's in front of them. But when they knock the ice off the back of the thing, yeah, it's landing on Dan. It's swinging, so... Uh, it's not. It's not swinging enough. It's like, it's not swinging enough for the ice to suddenly land... On top of his no, head. I can I can understand. Yeah, I can understand. So I, would the like, issue. I, I was just confused. I was like, where is it? Like, is he underneath them? Is he in front of them? <laughs> Listen, well, nitpicker. By, by the end of it, he's strewn all over the place. So. I mean, to be fair, yes. he, could, he could have moved by that time because they were trying to tie his legs up and stuff. So he's probably writhing around. The snow might have jolted him down a bit. You know, he's on a ski slope, it's slipping. No. So he probably has moved back a bit. No, because he gets hit by the wolves afterwards, and what do they say? Nothing. Don't let her look. Don't let her look. And she can't look forward. She can't look forward and see him. Whereas if he'd have moved, 
She can't look anywhere. Regardless of that tiny, minute detail, it's a fucking horrible scene when he breaks his legs. It's absolutely awful. And you said as well that it was old and practical, which is amazing, especially to look like that. They legitimately broke Kevin Zika's legs <laughs> in this film. That's commitment. You can't Honestly. argue with that. And then let him get hit by wolves. And, Method you know, man. for some that were a great day. Can I say, after he... That from... So, from the point where he starts getting attacked, this film takes, like, a, a bit of an emotional turn. Mm. As in, I found myself quite a few times going, I think I'm going to cry here. Like, when she's screaming when he's eat, when they're eating him and he's crying, I think that's awful. I think that's so well done. Just that, that moment, just us watching them it's, and it's him a, underneath screaming. It's the realisation of why he's coming back as well. And you're like, oh, no. Like, you don't know it's why horrible. he's doing it at first. And then he sits down really calmly and you're like, oh, shit, 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 shit. Yeah. yeah. If, if he was smart, he'd have fucking gone down that next one. He'd have been down the ladder. It'd have been away while the wolves were eating him. But the point is, he, ca- he he clearly did care about her enough to go back and comfort her because he knew that was going to be something traumatic for her. And therefore dooming himself like an idiot. Oh, my God. To be fair, um, two things. <laughs> Actually, two different things. So the first thing is, like, that whole death scene, even before that, the idea of, do you know, like, having a friend who's in danger and there's literally nothing you can do about it unless you... Put yourself in danger. That must be like that. That must be such a really tough, in reality, a really tough thing to try and comprehend. Like, how do you mentally assess what you do or how you act in that situation? Yeah. And secondly, that boy nowhere was carrying himself across them ropes. That the slight, the way he was slicing his hands, he would have fell anywhere. There's Should've no way he would have got across up. two of them wires. Should have put his legs around it as well, like Chris said. Just get up there. Well, and sliced his it. legs open as well. Well, you know, you were talking about bits where you got emotional, and yeah. yeah. So one of the bits that got me emotional purely because I absolutely know that this was based on Arwen. I abs- you, there's no denying it. it. The dog's referred to as a she as well. Is where she's talking about a dog being back and no one feeding her, and she's gonna die thinking she was just left there. I'm like. Oh, oh, with... <laughs> I got a bit, uh, I got a bit lumpy in the throat at that point. I think there were three consecutive scenes. So the whole, she tried to blame him, and then he blamed her, and and yeah. then, and then all that was like it was so good. It was just the way like she cried, she went over to him, and he and he, he kind of put his arm around her. I like that's so nice because right now they're both fucking grieving and angry at each other. Mm-hmm. But the puppy one. But it were, and then when she just went, I just want to see my mum. And I was like, I'm gone. I'm gone now. That's mm-hmm. it. Be done. That's upsetting. And I think it probably, probably in these times as well, it makes it just a little bit worse, doesn't it? Do you know, like when someone's saying things like that. Yeah. But there were the three things that I was like, I, this, this is amazing. Like, it's flipped me from feeling like that wolf scene, which is horrible mm. and quite intense. To feeling quite emotional. Yeah. During that wolf scene, though, it it's it's brilliant scene when he gets eat when he does get eaten, and it is is tense and is awful. But when he sticks his hands over his eyes, and then he removes them, and the wolf's still there. And I can't help but I watched that. I thought he is the worst at wolf peekaboo I have ever seen. 
my. Like, obviously, all emotional stuff aside, moving back to don't want to sound like League of Gentlemen character, but the killings. Um, when Parker does manage to get off the ski lift by some form of luck it lowering so that she doesn't take the full impact when she falls. I mean, when it falls on a leg, that's awful. It makes you makes your vagina go up a bit. <laughs> oh! I think the worst thing about the way she gets off is the fact that if he had stayed on that, the same thing would have happened. It yeah. would have still broke and they would have still dropped and they could have both got off. Although, saying, Although the weight made yeah, them up. I was about to say, with the weight there, it probably wouldn't have fallen that way with just that little bit hanging there. They'd have probably both plummeted to their death if that had, if he'd have been on there and that weight had just caused it to snap completely. Since I was going to say, they should have thought and stood up and jumped off as it got lower to ground. And then they'd have survived. I thought they should have hung off each other as much as they could. Like, she'd hang off him, she'd be able to jump down. Actually, <laughs> if all three did do that, yeah, one of them would be able to drop. The other one might be able to drop and stop the other one's weight, and then the third one would just be left hanging. Well, I mean, you know, we say all this, but that ski lift were on its arse, so it could have gone at any time. That's that's the danger of it, isn't and it? And to be fair, logical thinking goes out the window yeah, as well. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But when uh, when she passes, when she goes down the mountain and she passes Lynch, who's just, again, being ripped apart by these wolves. Oh, them fucking wolves, man. Ruined everything. Could have got away. Could have all been nice. If it wasn't for those darn wolves. Um, <laughs> it's interesting that the wolves don't attack her, though. Because they've got the meal. That's the way I see it. They've got the meal. Why do they want another right now? And she's not antagonising them. She's not, like, flailing in fear. Fresh food. Fresh meat. They've got fresh meat. They've been literally, they've, it's literally just been brought to their table. The fucking waiter nice has, brought, well. has brought Lynch. And they're literally on him right now. You can't get more fresh than that, mate. I love that, at that scene, as she's pulling away that one seductive wolf that's not eating, just sat staring at her. <laughs> And, like, you don't know whether he's, like, coming on to her or not. Um, yeah, maybe that's why. If the wolf fancied, he'll let her go. Because, like, well, I'm not going to eat you, sexy. <laughs> I'll get you later. Sexy human. <laughs> I think that might, might be what they were thinking. Yeah. Like, it's the chase, isn't it? Do you know one thing that gets me angry as well? Is when she does get to the bottom, how that one car fucking drives straight past her. You wank her. Look at state of her. The chair. That's what I've done. I'm like, what kind of fucking douche drives past someone in the middle of nowhere in snow? Like, what does he think she's going to do? I'd, I'd say it's got an happy ending in that she does eventually get rescued, but that ain't no happy ending. She's just lost yeah, the she's... love of her life. She's All right. traumatically scarred for life. I was going to say, yeah, more importantly, she, like, ripped the entire skin off her hand. Like, she's fucked, man. She'll never be an artist. Was she being an artist? I don't recall. <laughs> well, if she wanted to be, now, now that's out yeah, the window. Yeah, now maybe not, yeah. My mind says that that's what she was doing, becoming an art. She was studying art, but it, I could be very wrong. This, this, just, I mean, just to wrap this up, there's loads of stuff we haven't covered or I haven't talked about that I wanted to because I, I, I do love this film and there's a lot to unpack. It looks amazing. It, it feels amazing. You feel like you're there with them in that environment. The performances are incredible. I think the premise is great. 
the effects are fucking awesome and i think that's why frozen should be the best winter horror okay so it's time for my choice now which obviously is everyone's highlight of the episode obviously obviously apart from for some reason mercer who appears to have disappeared Odd that Christmas time, you know, you put stuff down. It's, it's like sellotape. You put him down somewhere and you don't know where he's gone. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> I thought it was a bang on analogy, but there you go. All right. No, no bless, bless him. He hasn't been able to watch this film, unfortunately. We saw it back around the release date, thankfully, which is good because we're going to discuss it. It'd be hard if we hadn't seen it. But this hasn't actually received a full UK release yet. So Mercer is struggling to be able to watch this. So he thought best to sit this one out and not offer his viewpoint. Hopefully we'll be able to find him a way to watch it. So he can come in next week and join us and discuss it. Because... And give a fair score. And to give a fair score. <laughs> I'm just guessing. He should just give it 100. But that's uh... That's your opinion. That's my opinion. The film in question is 2019's The Lodge. Mm. Woo! I'll be my own cheer squad, it's fine. I'm cheering, yeah, just silently. So this is from Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz. If you feel those names sound familiar, because you may do in the horror community, you will know them as the writers and directors of the truly phenomenal Goodnight Mommy. Oh, shit. And if, if that film's told you anything, this is not going to be a feel-good Christmas <laughs> Christmas movie. I tell you that. Who wants a scoop of depression for the holidays? Is that, what what holiday is not filled with massive depression? <laughs> I'm a man who normally, as we know, is all about bringing the fun to this podcast. But holidays around the corner, I have gone bleak. The bleakest of bleakenings. Bleak as fuck. But it's fine because it's a truly brilliant piece of work. It is, it absolutely is. So, for, I say for anyone who hasn't seen it, which may be a lot, a, a, great, lot a great deal of people, in this one, basically, there is the character of Richard. He's married to Laura Hall, Laura Hall sorry, who is played by Alicia Silverstone for about four minutes. Mm. Unfortunately, we don't... Spoilers, by the way. <laughs> well, our podcast is full of spoilers. Yeah, I may just say, with this one not having a full release yet, if you if you do want... If you are looking forward to it and you do want to check it out, because obviously the pedigree behind it, you may just want to skip this section mm. because it is going to be, like all our film discussions, are spoiler-heavy. Spoiler so really. I'll give you 10 seconds now just to be able to fumble in your jacket or wherever you're podcast is there we go so that's 10 seconds so those of us who are still here thank you very much for staying those other guys suck don't worry about them then <laughs> they're gonna miss out but fuck us on them so richard married to laura or ex or recently separated, separated from laura has asked for a divorce, which unfortunately prompts Laura to blow her brains out all over their nice, clean wall. Yeah, very calmly as well. Exactly. Richard is now with Grace, played by Riley Keogh, and they, or the father says, hey, 
let's go away for Christmas. Let's go to our nice deserted lodge on the lake with our with my kids, Aiden and Mia. They don't particularly like you, but let's go anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Who, who could have foreseen this possibly in any way going wrong? Not me. No, exactly. And it probably should be noted as well that Grace here, oh, just she's been a weird religious cult. We'll just, we'll just, I should, we'll drop that in as an aside because who knows, it may have some impact on the film. Hmm. It is everywhere in the film. And to be fair, you can't blame them. If you have someone who's a religious cult, why would you not include it? The reason... I love this film. Is it's as I say, it's a very much a, a detached or a departure from my usual film choices. This is spectacularly bleak and dark and nasty and vicious and all those words that you don't really want to use to, use to describe a Christmas or a a seasonal film. Mm. The performances from all of them absolutely brilliant. Riley as Grace, especially with her slow fall apart from doted, or did I say doted, for wanting to be friend slash parent to the kids to, oh my God, what is she going to do? And we know that Mercer hates the kids' performance. We know that he is not a fan of child actors. I don't think he's going to be a fan of these kids, if I'm quite honest. Jaden Martell and Leah McHugh, mm. I think, do a spectacular job. I, the, malici- the maliciousness that they convey through this film is brilliant. And then the part at the end, as they have that realisation that things... Are out of are, their control. Yeah, exactly. That things, are, <laughs> things are very much spiralling out... I'd say what started off as a game, but this is beyond a game level. This is some fucked up shit that they're doing. I think. Oh yeah, this isn't this. This isn't a oh oh we'll mess with her, we'll hide a sort of pepper. This is a let's see if we can make a breakdown and kill ourselves. I I did I did say to you while we were watching it, there is a, it is a Hammer film, but it is essentially Hammer meets A twenty four. But there is another Hammer film called The Nanny, and it's very much in keeping with that where. Um, you've got a an adult that's been messed with by the kids, driving them to the point of suicide, basically, to get rid of them. And I mean, I don't know where they came up with this idea to do this to her. It's cr- I know the grieving because the, the mother's just died. Yeah. But to come up with a plot like this, if you've got that in your head already, the directing team slash writing team clearly have a very oh my god, kids are awful and dangerous. Well, yeah, yeah. Dangerous viewpoint in the world so i literally forgot about good night mommy for a second <laughs> oh yeah but as, you, as you say though who comes up with a scheme like this the this dark and this twisted i mean we already know the family's nuts they're eating outside in the winter when it comes to thanksgiving it's november most people go get inside get everyone around mm. no they are outside blankets around the shoulders I don't know how anyone does that. Yeah, they're, an, sh- odd, they're an odd sort, aren't they? Whether that's the 2024 shadowing, they just like, no, you know what? Give it a year's time, this will look spot on. <laughs> Everyone will have to be outside eating when they've got family yeah. family around, extended bubbles. I'd say, it's not just the performances, the landscape as well, it obviously mm. plays a huge role. They are deserted as anything. They're out in the absolute middle 
of nowhere. As we find out later on, it's miles from the nearest house. There's a massive snowstorm which makes all the roads absolutely impassable. And if we, we didn't mention before, sorry, that there is a situation where the father does have to go back to work um, at his old home. So that leaves Grace with the children. And that's when obviously this scheme comes into effect where they make her think she's going absolutely nuts. See, when when I obviously the first time around you watch it, you go, oh my God, that scheme, what they've done is awful. Mm. But then when you rewatch it and you look in, you go, hang on, have they managed to get their dad to have to leave? The house as well and go back because they had everything laid out as a plan mm. which in their creepy doll house which if the dad had gone in their bedroom and she went oh you've got a uh, i see you got a doll hanging there from the uh, ceiling i think they were told beforehand that he would have to come back for a few days and then return i think that was explained to them before they actually went to the cabin okay fair enough that'd have been even more <laughs> yeah that'd have been even like more oh, wow film, this yeah. is lucky Look how we looked out. <laughs> yeah. Um. What's the the kid called? The male kid. <laughs> the male kid is Aiden. Aiden. Um. He's Aiden and Mia. Fresh off it, chapter two. Chapter one. Chapter one. Sorry. Yeah. Chapter one. Yeah. If he'd have been it, chapter two, I thought, wow, he's really, <laughs> he's, he's really got some impressive acting chops playing a third forty year old. Yeah. He's um. Is it, is different in this in the. Uh, of course he's different he's playing horrible he's not playing horrible <laughs> what am I about tired I think he's he's clearly the ringleader of the operation Mia is younger bless her and she's so broken by her mother's death that she'll go along with pretty much anything That that's the thing they try to spin as well throughout the film which, which is quite laughable when you look back on it but if until you know what's going on you know, you don't know which way they're going to take it, but uh, Mia carries around a doll that's her mother. So it's, it's, it looks like, it's like a doll that looks like a mom. So she carries it everywhere and, you know, she can't sleep without it and stuff like that. And even to the point in the funeral, she tries to set it off on a balloon to go to heaven and it, it doesn't, it, it just, doesn't, it just it flops sinks. to the floor, bless her. Um, so she has a breakdown, which is fair enough. And they try to push the angle that every time something happens to Grace, this doll is around. It's around. It's like, hang on, what, what are you going for? You know. And, a, but if you don't know the plot, then I guess. No, it's a nice, it's a nice little part. Whether whether she's picking up or whether it's just she's happened to be moving it around as part of the part of these blackouts where she's picking up this doll and moving it, moving it around and doing yeah. different bits and pieces. I mean, as as you say, if you don't know the plot, you really. You could be forgiven for not seeing what's actually coming. Yeah. Because, as we're saying, the kids are, or Aiden especially with his with his plot, I'm painting him as a ringleader. It could have been all Mia. She could be the mastermind behind it. But I'm going no. I'm going Aiden's Aiden's ringleader. But if you don't know what he's aiming for, aiming for, them, the dad also leaving, and then the heating breaking down on the property, the Cala gas stove they have to get. Mm. In the food missing is really, really, really odd. Yeah, true. But with Grace's background, why would you not look at it and go, Well, clearly, she's having an absolute clearly, this film is going to be them versus her because she's having an absolute breakdown back to when she was in a cult. Yeah, I think 
I think that's a, a clever thing about it is that it can un- until the not the final act but until you know leading to the final act it can be taken in several directions of where it's going to go just like with Frozen um, I was I remember what I was going to say as well about the the plot the make her lose her mind the breakdown hmm. with the the scene on the ice where she's pushing the doll out and the ice collapses underneath Grace. Does Mia know that's? Do they know that's gonna? Have, they know that ice is that thin there. That if she comes barreling across it, she's gonna go straight through that ice. It could be. I, I don't. You you don't know what is coincidence and you don't know what's planned, because there are you know circumstances that like where she goes out walking, they didn't plan for her to come all the way back, did they? They didn't know she was just gonna go in a circle. So I don't think they knew she was just gonna <laughs> just gonna just gonna leave anyway. Just go. Go nuts and storm off. It's a horrible realisation for her that when she does... Because she attempts to go and get help because she's taking these pills and they've moved her pills as well. They've basically moved all um, photos and Christmas decorations from the lodge. They've hidden her pills. They've let her precious dog out, bless it. Um, They've let it out into snow. And then she says, look, I've I've got to get some help or I'm going to do something ridiculous here because she's... Basically carrying a gun around at this time. It's like, it's getting dangerous. And she recognises it and says, no, I need to get some pills. I need to try and get out of here. But ends up back at the lodge because she goes around in a circle. And when she comes back, she finds all the belongings hidden in the snow. And you find out that the children have obviously hoarded all the food under the house and stuff and cut off the electrics and whatnot. And just that realisation is horrible because you feel for it. I mean, because you, you don't, up until this point, you don't know that she's the victim in this. It no, could be as the... I say, it looks, like, it, it looks like it's shaping to be her breakdown versus them trying to survive. Yeah, but it's so cruel. I understand that she was the other woman and such and that she was the reason that the parents got divorced and, you know, they see it as the reason why their mum shot herself. But it's just so cruel. It's horrible, and I feel for her so much. And obviously, the dog dies, which is just... Oh, we know how I feel about dog deaths. Yeah, you know, it, it, I mean, it freezes to death. He still died, and they let it out. So we've seen worse ways. <laughs> but at that point, Mia starts to feel some sort of guilt and go, "Actually, I didn't mean for that to happen. I just let him out." So she admits straight away that she let him out, and that's when they go to the food. So I think you're right. I think it is the the boy that's the ringleader on it because. Mia's clearly feeling guilty about what's happening. And then, obviously, it just starts... Shit hits the fan big time when Grace just completely loses it. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, (laughs) having someone fake an obituary and then pretend pretend to hang themselves to show that they're actually already dead is probably going to push you a little bit to to the brink. Yeah, bless her. And then, yeah, Daddy-O comes home. Tries to convince her that she isn't dead. She isn't dead. Many of the times I've had to come home and try to convince you you're not dead. Well, I'm hypochondriac, and um, she ends up shooting him. Bless him. He didn't do anything. He will. I, I, I say that we don't know the backstory. We don't. We don't know what led to the relationship. In he, the, uh... he clearly cheated, didn't he? I think that's the thing. Cause... And to be fair, he is he is dropped down in years from uh, Alicia Silverstone to Riley Keogh. Yeah. So you can see why there might be a bit of resentment there from the the kids and the mum and such. But, you know, she's not about that. She she does seem like a 
a nice person who's trying to get a life back on track. And yeah. They've just ruined it now. <laughs> yeah, as I say, so poor old Richard is dead. And uh, so it's, the, it's down for the kids to have to repent and grace as well. Yeah. See, these are this is what happens. You try to convince someone they're dead and this will backfire on you. Of course it will. Who could have possibly have foreseen <laughs> it? It's, it's, I think it's hard to talk about The Lodge given that it's not been out long and maybe, like you said, maybe not a lot of people have seen it. But I can absolutely guarantee that when people do start to see it, they, they will, will lose think their it's a shit. classic. Yeah, absolutely. Just the same impact as Goodnight Mommy, if not more so in places. Well, about what about the ending? Are you happy they left it? Yes. Where it was? Well, we'll maybe we'll save the ending. We won't spoil it for people. Are you happy they they left it there? I'm happy with. I like the ending. I think it. it yeah. Again, I can't go into why I Too like much, it, yeah. but I like the ending. I wish they'd have pushed it further, but that's my own personal viewpoint. I don't think viewpoint. you need that a lot of the time. I think, I think sometimes not knowing is best. I'd have been, I'd have been happier knowing. It's fine. <laughs> so, that was the lodge. Thank you, Mercer, for weighing in so heavily on you. <laughs> Cheers, Mercer. <laughs> that is my choice for our best winter film. As I say, I know a lot of people won't have seen it. So I'll just say, I won't even sum it up in a way to say say it's great acting, it's great performances, it's amazingly shot, the script and direction are brilliant, the story's great, because people have to take me at my word, and I'm not sure they want to. <laughs> so all I will say is, when this does get a wide or full UK release, I imagine it's not going to get a cinema release, I imagine it's going to be coming out on DVD, Blu-ray, or digital, whatever's the kids are into nowadays then definitely beyond a shadow of a doubt if you like goodnight mommy that or even if you didn't just <laughs> i'm just literally saying anyone if you've ever watched a film go and check this film out and that is why i feel it should be the best winter horror so that was our four choices for our best winter horrors we are now rejoined again by Mercer. He's decided to come back. <laughs> Thank you for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to actually come back and record the ending with us. And thank you for allowing me the time to not ruin a film for myself <laughs> until I listen to this episode, of course. So, four great picks we've had today. We've I've watched all four. Absolutely loved them. Mm-hmm. Brilliant films. <laughs> that was such a dig. <laughs> I've watched all four. Alright, sorry. No, no dig. I'm sure you'll get to watch the other one at some point this week before we score our films for the results episode. As always, we'll be putting up the poll for you to vote for your favourite. Please, if you do vote, just drop us a comment underneath, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter, and let us know why you voted where you have. We always do appreciate your input. If you want to reach us, you can do so on both Instagram and Twitter at SpitGrades. You can reach us on Facebook at I Spit on Your Grades. And for anyone who still feels the need to email, you can reach us at electricpossums at gmail.com. And please, as always, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Because else you'll miss content. And the last thing we want is people missing content. 
do us a Christmas present for us. Just subscribe. I don't even care if you listen to them when they download. Just just subscribe to it. Stop begging. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all from us for this week. So, Mercer, thank you for coming back. And you say goodbye to the good folks. Thank you. And goodbye to all the good folks. Faye, would you like to say goodbye to all the good folks? I would like to say goodbye to all the good folks. Goodbye. And I would also like to say goodbye to all the good folks. Goodbye, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye.